Click submit. I'm one of your hosts, Shercole, and Gwen is off being a superhero today, so we will return next episode with some awesomeness from her. We have our first special guest of the season today, but before I introduce them, I want to tell you guys our topic this week. Day shelters make the world go round. Yes, today we shall talk about day shelters and its importance. Hope all of my folks out there today take a deep look at the resources available in your community and specifically day shelters. I invite you all to get inspired and get creative with day shelter data for your area. So what is the basic definition of day shelter, you might be asking if you didn't know already? It's it's a little simple. Um, It's pretty much day shelters is kind of like art. It gets creative with so many different offerings depending on the community. Day shelters are pretty much a one-stop shop that is the immediate need processors that help tell the story of the community uh, surrounding homelessness. This is where the housing insecure and the unhoused go to handle their business, if you will. They pick up their mail, take showers, get haircuts, read, do art, learn skills, and all type of things. So I hope that helps, and we're going to go more into things a little bit later. Now on to our wonderful special guest. Our we have the honor of seeing the wonderful Miss Lauren Delap speak at the National Alliance for Ending Homelessness. She was on a panel for Falling Faster: Why Are Black People Returning to Homelessness More Frequently Than White? Um, it was such a dynamic session, and I was so glad that I was able to see it. And I thought that Miss Lauren would be perfect to talk about one of my favorite topics: day shelters. Miss um, Lauren is the day shelter manager at the Haven, which is located in downtown. Charlottesville, Virginia. I would like to welcome her to our show, and we so appreciate you joining us today, and I will let you have a chance to just tell us a little bit more about yourself and your work, and just tell us a little bit about The Haven as well. Sure. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm Laura Delap, and um, as mentioned, I am the shelter manager for The Haven here in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, I am a mom of five, that originally started with another local nonprofit um, called Pacham. And what we would do would be to shelter homeless or displaced guests during those cold winter months using churches, that sort of thing. Um, I started doing it, like I said, almost five years ago and absolutely fell in love with the work that I was doing. Um, it left me feeling out of six months out of the year, what was going to happen to these folks that I did not see until the following year. Mm-hmm. Wasn't really looking for another employment opportunity. And because Pacham was actually based in the Haven at the time, I was kind of poached. And <laughs> the director says, you know, hey, I need someone that's a shelter supervisor. Your director recommended you. What are your thoughts? Um, I took that position and kind of rolled with it. Um, I don't look at it as being a job. I don't look at them as being guests. We are more family. 
I'm dealing with a lot of people that have watched me grow up, people that I've watched grow up. So for me, it's about that whole, it takes a village to raise a child type thing. Um, And so just wanting to give back and be able to help the community and speak for those that were unable to actually speak for themselves or connect themselves to resources is how I got involved with this type of work. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. And I'm, you know, it's always amazing to hear someone talk about how the work for them, it's it's not just work. It's just like your family. Um, you've gotten so connected with it, everyone. And I think that's special. So can you tell us a little bit more about what exactly is The Haven? Yes. So The Haven is a day shelter for displaced and homeless guests over the age of 18. Um, We operate 365 days out of the year. Um, We do not even shut down for weather. A lot of the resources that we offer are everything from breakfast daily to showers on site, um, storage bins for the guests that need to access those. They're able to pick up mail. So we have a lot of resources and stuff that we can also connect them with in the day shelter as far as getting help with disability paperwork or, you know, something as simple as getting to the DMV. We offer a lot of those wraparound services, um, which is what I think makes us unique because a lot of times you'll see, you know, when folks are going into transitional housing or something of that sort, there is no wraparound services. And so we are kind of those hand holders in the very beginning to continue to get them through the process and help them throughout it. That's great. That's really great. I'm so glad to hear about all the different resources available. I think uh, a lot of the time we don't have much focus or emphasis on the importance of day shelter. Because if you think about it, they are the big connectors. They're connecting all these resources in one spot for people year round. And that is a major thing. And you can learn so much about the community just from working more closely with the day shelters. Um, One of my first questions for you um, is surrounding pretty much as the day shelter manager, how do you feel, what's your relationship currently with data and how, you know, you probably are potentially using data right now in learning about your community? Yeah. So a lot of everything that we do is Mm -hmm. data-based down to the sign-in sheets that I've created um, for those guests, which come in on a day-to-day basis and I redo them every week. Um, we're keeping okay. track of the number of showers that are being used, how many guests are signing in daily, how many you know guests are accessing those computers. Um, so a lot of that we take. Um, at the end of each month, we do what we call deliverables, um, mm-hmm. whereas each department presents those numbers. Um, The numbers are important to us because we are nonprofit. We rely on some HUD funding, but a Mm -hmm. lot of private donations as well. And so this is a way for us to say, okay, we've had 300 and some folks access showers this month. You know, Mm -hmm. this 
what we need as far as getting in personal care items or something of that sort. And it helps me keep track of where guests are coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, I can determine, you know, whether your population is more community based or if they're coming from outside of air COC. It helps me keep track of the number of women that we serve. Mm-hmm. Um, as each month I can go back and say, okay, we had this number last month and this is what my number is this month. So we're mm-hmm. seeing that steady increase. So the numbers play a big role as to how we operate, um, the budget that we get to operate, as well as those donations. Um, are you currently using any software or are you using like Excel or um, anything specific to help you keep up with all of this information? Yes. So um, I create a lot of Google Docs, um, okay. as we know, are living documents. So we can mm-hmm. go in and usually the method that I use when it comes to guest sign-ins is if they're not accessing more than three days, we don't consider them a regular. And so okay. they're moved from the list. And so this happens once a week, every Friday when the new list is done. Um, So yeah, we're using the Google Sheets. We're using HMIS a lot, um, which helps us keep track of a lot of things that are, you know, guests coming in and out of the community and that sort of thing. Okay, great. That's great. So also, um, from all of this data that you've been collecting since you've been working there, is there anything new you've learned about the community? I know you kind of somewhat talked about it a little in at um, the National Alliance, but is there anything new you've been learning about your community from all of the data you've been collecting? The biggest thing with the community that we are in is there's no such thing as affordable housing. Um mm-hmm. We are seeing that there is a real need for more brick and mortar, um, which is contributing to the problem. Um, We've also seen a steady increase of people coming from outside of air COC, as well as a continuous increase in the female population. Uh, Oh, wow. Yeah, partly because the area that we are centralized in, there is no sort of transitional housing for women, and there is no shelter option other than the Salvation Army. So whereas men are coming out of incarceration and potentially facing homelessness, they can go to Oxford houses or, you know, one of these type deals. Whereas if a woman is in a homeless situation and being released back into society, she's left to fend for herself. And if there's Mm -hmm. children involved, it makes it even worse because there's no transitional housing, nothing Mm -hmm. for women. From the learning this new information about it, has it helped you to think of new ideas to grow more resources to help these um, communities? Like I know you said for women, I know that's a a long road ahead to try to even work through finding, getting more women um, emergency shelter. But has this information helped you to get the resources or at least be able to more start thinking about ways, new ways to collaborate with other organizations that can help you get those bigger needs that you need to help these people? 
Yeah, I'm definitely doing a lot of collaborating um, because one of the other organizations that I sit on is a crisis intervention team. And Mm -hmm. so that comes with me dealing with the guests and working closely with hospitals, police officers, that sort of thing, so that we can try to secure something safe, whether it's a female going into the she shelter or Mm -hmm. if someone with a medical condition that we may have to put in a hotel for a couple of days. We're trying to get all of the organizations on board so that we can go to the city. They're aware of the need, but we're, like I said, in one of those areas where it's hard for zoning for anything other than commercial. So we know what needs to happen the money is there, the land is not. And right. so we're also getting a lot of pushback where people don't want to believe that homelessness is a problem mm-hmm. in this area. And that's partly because we, you know, are home to one of the biggest universities in the world. You right. know, everybody wants to go to UVA. And so that, you know, affluent persona that Charlottesville has, we don't want to dim by actually looking at the numbers and saying, okay, this is a real problem right now. Right, right. I'm kind of getting off topic, but now that just made me think like, how do you even start trying to fight changing that narrative so people can understand you know, what needs to happen next to actually help the community as a whole? Or have you even, you know, started thinking about like how do you even change that type of narrative so it's hard Mm -hmm. uh, very hard if you know anything about this area and so there is a lot of pushback um i had gone to some meetings with city council we had invited them into the zooms and i kind of said you know this is a problem like you're not acknowledging that this is a problem, that this is serious, that housing is a right, but we're focusing on, you know, statues and that sort of thing, and was pretty much told to be careful whose feathers I ruffled. Oh, wow. And so it was one of those type ordeals, and I, you know, kind of made it very clear if we, you know, gave a damn about whose feathers we ruffled, we'd still be on the back of the bus. And so right. at point, it's about us applying pressure, continue Mm -hmm. to put it in their face and make them realize that keeping people unhoused is actually costing us more as a community than it would to actually house these folks and get them off the streets. So we're, we're doing a lot of tugging and tussling, of course, making a lot of enemies, but (laughs) Typically, you know, what happens when when you're fighting for what's right. Right. So. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's like, so for people who are not necessarily working on the front end, um, like, you know, working so close away clients, how can we or like data people or, you know, just people in general help you push, you know, new narratives and just be able to do this type of great work you need to help get those resources? What can we do? Um, I think for everybody, the biggest help would be to force the issue of we don't want this equal. 
Because mm-hmm. there's a big difference in our systems when it comes to housing being equal and being equitable. And mm-hmm. what we need is for it to be equitable. We need for it to be inclusive because yes. we hear it all the time. Oh, well, we're equal. No, we're not. You know, we're all facing different barriers. And that's the biggest thing to keep pushing so that we can change these policies, these procedures, so that housing is fair and just for everyone and not mm-hmm. just um. Yeah, I agree. Um, so moving along a little, um, have there been any effects of COVID on your shelter and how you're doing things, even up to now? Um, has there been some big things that have been, you know, hard for you um, working with the within this population? Um, not so much. Um, it actually went a lot smoother than we thought. Oh, um, okay. Because we definitely, like I said, we don't shut down for any reason. Um. Mm-hmm. So what we started doing was to kind of control the numbers according to CDC was we had to start saying, okay, you are housed. We cannot allow you to access services right now. And so we would set up tables outside of the shelter. I'd have some guests working with me. As I'm checking them off, they check temperatures. We have the mask at the counters. We would have the guests pitching in. Every hour I was making an announcement, okay, it's time to sanitize. And then we also bought UVA on site. And so every Monday we're doing vaccinations for the guests or the staff and boosters and testing. And so that's helped a lot. Our numbers have been really, really low as far as transmission. And we have not had any outbreaks within the facility. Oh, that's really phenomenal here. I'm so glad that y'all had that and there was no outbreaks. That's wonderful. Were you keeping any data on your, during this time, like for vaccinations and um, Mm -hmm. COVID cases as well? Okay. Yeah, definitely. So um, we were made aware because we do have to pick up the test results and that sort of thing. So um, because of HIPAA, Of course, we can talk to the guests and inform them, but it's their due diligence to let wherever they're sheltered or whatever the case may be know. And so we definitely have a good idea of who's contracted it in the last two years, as well as how they may have actually contracted it. And so Mm -hmm. we those numbers. Um, like I said, because of HIPAA, there's certain stuff we can't release. Right. Um, but yeah, we definitely keep track of the numbers and over 80% of our population is vaccinated and boosted. That's great. So based on everything you've been seeing in the shelter, you know, with all of the, the daily changes we've been all going through, mm-hmm. what is there anything that you would like to, you get curious about or would like to see more data on? Or like if you had the time and, you know, or the staff to, or the, you know, the technology to do it, what would you want to learn more about from your population that you feel like it would tell the, the story you need to, you know, bring everything and get the resources you need next? Wow, that would be, oh God, that's a hard question. (laughs) Um, I think more than anything, I would like to be able to sit down with more than one guest Mm -hmm. 
actually hear the barriers that they've actually faced from day one. Um, prime example, I have a guest that has actually watched me actually grow up and this guest has been homeless for the last 15 years and has received vouchers and that sort of thing. But there's something still that is keeping this guest from being housed. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, okay, let's sit down. Let's be able to look at it more in depth instead of just brushing the surface and saying, okay, well, you had charges and this time you had charges here. That that's what I would want to be able to do. Sit down, be able to go over it, say, okay, these are the barriers. Okay. And let me see what I can do to help because it may be something as simple as, okay, this person does need handholding throughout Mm -hmm. the process or something of that sort. No, I I definitely agree. Um, We're starting to see more of the importance of like the qualitative data side of things, you know, the storytelling, actually sitting down and getting because the situation could be so completely different. Like one example I always give, um, I live in New Orleans and that's the community I serve. And like one of the things we found was that a big number for like African-Americans who um, their reason for homelessness was around family conflict. But actually wishing that we had the, the the manpower to be able to sit down and see what exactly does family conflict look like? Because, you know, that can mean so much. It's so differently for so many different people or different types in the community. So having that, that luxury of time to be able to tell those full stories is, I think, is perfect. But I think that as we're moving forward and we're starting to see that it's not just about the numbers, but the story portion of it, uh, I feel like we're getting closer to being able to do those type of things or figuring out what is the best way to do it so you can, you know, learn those stories of all of the um, individuals so you can have a better understanding of how we can help everybody as a whole because you start realizing they're all connecting dots somewhere in that story. Right. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. So one of the big things for me is uh, I'm obsessed with um, let's just let me just tell you now I'm obsessed with day shelters. There's a day shelter I'm on a board like I that, I'm just I did a presentation about it. I I feel like day shelters are some of the most important places because they can give you a full snapshot of what's to come. Not only if they're working with just the how um the unhoused community, but the housing insecure community, because a lot of those people are still going there for the resources and stuff and different things. And we can really learn exactly what is going on in the community from both standpoints if we were doing more to actually use them to to get that data and understand that community from a federal standpoint. I, I just find it so important because you know we can learn more about the needs we people need um, before they even get to a situation where they're unhoused. Um, if we are able to understand those housing insecure um, individuals that are coming into the shelters um, and learn more about the client locations and, you know, where, you know, where they're at, because, you know, that, that plays a big story. And I realized that even in my community, how, you know, that specific poverty areas are like that main group that are coming, you know, in and out before they end up, some of them, unfortunately, end up um, unhoused. And so it's just, it's just really for me, it's just so important that we start thinking of new ways to put more resources behind day shelters to help them. Because they're, if you think about it, they're the number one teachers and even in collaboration, because most of the day shelters around the country are working with so many other programs to make sure we're giving all of these resources. Resources yes. to everyone, and I think 
we can learn so much from Dave Shelters and from the type of work that you're doing. And I mean, I just want to give you a chance just to share, like, you know, how, how do you feel like, you know, what do you see as Dave Shelters, you know, role in us ending homelessness? Or how do you feel that, you know, us, these data people, the federal government, how do you feel that we should be looking at Dave Shelters role in ending homelessness? Um, I totally agree with everything that you said um, because we are one of those areas that do offer those wraparound services. And like I said, Mm -hmm. um, we meet guests where they are. Some guests are going to need a little more of a push than others. Um, But that's what we're there for, Um, you know, to make those connections, to offer those hand holdings and to just be, a safe spot for someone that has slept outside all night long, Um, you know, to be able to just come in and relax and actually feel like they can be safe for, you know, 10 to 12 hours out of Mm -hmm. that day. Uh, So I definitely think that day shelters are a huge importance Um, I run mine a little bit differently um, because I do a lot more of what I call town halls. Um, And that's a way me to me and the staff and the board members to get engaged with these guests, to not be sitting in offices and feeling like they're being interrogated. But I, I do cookouts. We go outside, we set up cornhole boards, I set up decorations, we use vendors, whether it's friends of ours that have their own clothing brands and, you know, give them something to look forward to. Because it's like that saying, he that's closest to the problem is closest to the solution. If we don't engage with these folks, we're never going to know how to help them. And so that's kind of been my way of forcing folks out of those offices that don't work the front line. Like, Mm -hmm. come talk to these folks, see what they need, hear their stories. You know, um, I furnished my staff for the day shelter is all from different sides of town. Um, There are people that I grew up with, um, people that have been to prison, people that have dealt with gangs, because I want anybody that walks into that shelter to be able to look and say, well, I know them from this area. I'm safe talking Mm -hmm. or I'm comfortable so that everybody has that familiar face. And that's a big thing for me. Like, engaging with these guests because yes, we're dealing with a lot of secondary trauma, but you never know how you're going to be able to help someone just by sitting and listening to, you know, their story. And so Mm -hmm. I think day shelters are huge and especially those that work the front, you know, we're, we're going to be the doctors. We're going to be the psychiatrists. We're going to know a lot more about some folks than we, we really want to know, but helps us to help them. And they have that respect for it because whereas everybody's seeing them as a client or a guest, we're looking at them as family. We're having cookouts. We put a garden on the side of the building so that 
everybody can go out and get food and that sort of thing and bringing a lot of stuff to them. Like I said, I'm, we do the Narcan training. So I partnership with the health department. We do hearts for the homeless. So they come in and help monitor their blood pressures, get them medications. So for those that don't want to go or have that fear of going outside, we bring those services right to them in that day shelter Mm -hmm. with community partners. That's that's powerful. I think just the main thing that you said that everyone needs to remember is engagement. Engagement is very important to understanding the true stories, no matter what level you're at. And what you said, powerful, was especially, can you tell me a little bit more about the town halls and how you got the board involved? Like, I think that is powerful for them to actually sit down and be able to, you know, they're interacting and not just making decisions from high up. That is a powerful thing. And a lot of communities haven't gotten there yet. I, you, I would love for you to just talk a little bit more about the town hall. Yeah. So I've always been like the party planner in my uh-huh. family. Um, so, and I'm big on doing it big. Like we're going to have themes, you know, balloons, that sort of thing. And then we were at work one day and the kitchen manager and I just happened to be talking And I said, well, instead of us doing a town hall where we're pulling everybody into the sanctuary area, asking a bunch of boring questions or expecting them to just speak out, what if we just do a big cookout? I said, you know, it doesn't feel as formal. You know, we can be out playing cornhole, that sort of thing. We did it the first time and it took off. We had, you know, housed guests coming. We had enlisted some of the community partners like Network to Work. We had Kroger donating food and Trader Joe's and stuff like that. And so when we saw how good it actually went that first time, it was, okay, let's start doing this on a monthly basis. And then we just kind of... Yeah, just kind of change the theme. Um, The one for next month, we're going to be focusing on getting donations for the cold winter months. And so we'll be taking in gloves and hats and we usually get like bags together for them so that they have the stuff that they need um, for. So, yeah, it it started as kind of a fluke idea because when I presented it to the director, he was like, yeah, you know, sounds good. And I was like, well, can we get a dunk tank or, you know, like, what are your limits here? Like, tell me. (laughs) And so he was like, "Eh, too much insurance for that. So, but yeah, we took it, ran with it. And then we just started inviting other community members um, Mm -hmm. from Salvation Army, um, inviting the board members, because I feel like most of the board members in any business or whatever the case may be, are still very out of touch. Like you said, they're sitting high, they're making those decisions, but I want you to see who those decisions affect, because these faces are not the faces that are sitting at that table when those decisions are made. So I want Mm -hmm. you to see these faces. I want you to remember these faces when you're making those decisions. And so that's part of why I do invite the board, um, because I don't want 
those decisions to be made, you know, based off of, oh, well, just having to make it. I want you to realize that you're playing with someone's life at this moment. And so right. there's no better way to actually do that than to continuously put it in their face. I really appreciate that. I really do. Have you noticed any changes um, with you bringing those decision makers and different um, community members together? Have you you've seen on anything change and how people are thinking about the programming or, you know, you know how everything is going? Definitely. We've, um, of course, we're doing a lot of looking at systems um, mm-hmm. at work and what we can do on a local level as far as, you know, working with HMIS, like where mm-hmm. is this system actually failing these people that are not housed? Um, oh, because okay. it's not just Black and brown people that are not being housed, but mm-hmm. it's all shades. So there's something wrong. Yes, black and brown people are returning into homelessness more frequently, right. but this is a problem with all races. So there's something in those systems that we're looking at saying, why is this not working? Why are we having such a hard time you know, they've got income, they've got this and that sort of thing. And what we're starting to see is that property management and landlords are actually the biggest problem in why we cannot get guest housed in this area. Wow. Wow. That's, yeah. that is, you know what, you know, I just was about to go on a tent. Like we could talk all day. Like I would love to hear what you have to say about how HMIS role um, is. I, I know we could be in here, but okay, I'll let you just do a small like. How do you, I would, you know, as an HMIS person, I just want to know how you feel about how everything has been, you know, playing with you in that's the system in HMIS. From I know you said y'all just starting to think about that, but have you learned anything yet about how HMIS um, is playing into these ideas? Well, the biggest problem that we're seeing is when these intakes are being done. It is almost impossible to get someone that is in the middle of their addiction or someone with mental illness to be able to sit for about an hour to do mm-hmm. these intakes, whether that's the VI spadat or whatever the case may be. You, we're talking too lengthy of a process for someone that cannot focus that long. So a lot of the times we're seeing either they're going to give us partial information, if they give us any information at Mm -hmm. all, or they're just going to start spurting off the first thing that comes to their mind, which may be true, which may also not be true. And that's a big problem that we're seeing because even when we were doing the paper intakes, it was about an hour or longer per Mm -hmm. guest. And if there were two in the household, you're talking a little over two hours. And by the time you're like on that third or fourth page, they're already at that point of how much longer? I don't feel like doing this sort of thing. And so I think that's been a major problem. And that's where we're getting a lot of bad data from. Um, 
because they aren't able to sit that long to go through those questions or some of them just can't answer the questions at all because they don't even know. And so that's Mm -hmm. where we run into a lot of problems. Okay. Yeah. I understand that. Um, Have y'all started like um, meeting as like a team to, you know, think through those things or y'all just starting to slowly go through that process of how to, what's the next step. Cause like one of the first things I'm thinking about is y'all meeting with the, Oh, what's your COC and uh-huh. you guys coming up with like, exactly how are these questions, you know, um, affecting the community? Like, cause I think that that's, you, you, you brought up a really important point that is not talked about enough is communities actually taking time to discuss how a lot of the questions, you know, um, how is it affecting us to get those, um, that information needed, not only for what you need for your, you know, to put into HMIS, that are the data that we need. How are we going to ask those questions in such a way that we're not overwhelming the guests and not making it too time consuming, coming up with the right process as a team? I think that's really important. Yeah, we've, um, like I said, we have a regular coordinated entry system meetings mm-hmm. on Monday um, okay. with where we have a lot of these conversations as staff. Um, We also discuss a lot of them in their community case review meetings on Wednesdays, um, talking about some of the issues that we're seeing because we're we're seeing the same thing with the pit counts, you Mm -hmm. know, how inaccurate they are um, because HUD's definition of homelessness is completely different than, you know, say the school's definition homelessness very true we're seeing a lot of people not being counted for and that sort of thing so it's just the numbers all around um what we're seeing in their coc are not very accurate um Mm -hmm. and it's you know primarily the same reason with the pit counts you know you're out 10 11 o'clock at night going to these tent cities, that sort of thing. And you're missing people, you know, somebody could be there tomorrow that wasn't there the night before. And so that's why one of the big things that we're talking about is like, how do we make these numbers more accurate so that the data is really showing who is actually in our COC and actually homeless? Okay. Wow. Oh my gosh, Miss Laura, you didn't give me so many new things to think about. Basically, no, but this is good. You are helping a lot of HMIS people start thinking outside the box and thinking about how they can be a part of, you know, making some of these changes to help um, um, wonderful people like you do your job and be as amazing as you are. I really want to thank you for coming on the show today. I truly appreciate you. I think you're wonderful and I love the work that you're doing. And so I really just want to thank you. And I just want everyone to know, I wish y'all can see Miss Laura because she have on the flies hoop earrings. And <laughs> I just wanted you guys to know just how fly Miss Laura is. Today. I, I just want to really thank you. And I just want you to know, I truly appreciate you for coming on the show. Well, so thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And thank you for listening to another episode of Click Submit. <laughs>